Thanks for listening to the Three Strands podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit us at threestrands.church. I'm excited about this series. It's been a good series for me. I always get to learn as I'm studying the Bible, so I'm thankful for that. Each week of the series, we've been starting off by reading Psalm 42, 1 and 2 to you. Today, I'd like to just have you read it along with me. Will you guys read it with me? Is that okay? You've gotten to hear it three times now, and so you should be able to read along with me, right? Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. You ready? As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you. As weak, weak sauce. Let's start over. You ready? As weak sauce. You ready? Start over. Psalm 42, 1 and 2. You ready? As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and see the face of God? Psalm 42, 1 and 2. Excellent. So if you've been with us the first three weeks of the series, we've covered a lot of stuff so far. We identified what or who um, we needed to find all of our value in life in. Who completes us, right? It's not he doesn't complete us. He completes us, right? So it's like you can look at God. God is the one who completes you. So you need to recognize that, that he's the one you need to go to to drink from, to get refreshment and fulfillment from. In the second week, we covered all the idols in our lives. If you guys were here for that week, all the stuff that kind of gets in the way of your relationship with Jesus, all the stuff that you elevate to the throne and you take Jesus off the throne and those things or those people become the kings or queens or most important things in your life. And uh, they get in the way. They block the connection between you and God. And so uh, we talked about those. And then if you were here last week in week three, uh, we looked at um, Paul's story where he looks himself in the mirror and he kind of decides above all else in life, he wants to know Jesus. And we set some goals for our life. If you were here last week, we talked about if you don't set the goal, you're never going to hit it, right? And so the goal should be, I want to know Jesus more than I want anything else in life. In fact, Paul compared everything else in life to garbage compared to knowing Jesus better. And he wanted to experience his power, the same power that raised him from the dead. But then he took it even further. And he said, I also want to experience the same suffering he experienced. I also want to experience the same death he experienced. And we talked through what that means to suffer and experience suffering and how that suffering and dying to yourself each day is actually what sets you up to receive resurrection power and helps you know Jesus better, which is the goal. So we got pretty practical last week, and today I want to get even more practical. I want to give you some easy things you can go out of the room with today, put them into practice in your life, and really by the end of the week, you'll get to know Jesus better. He'll be closer connected to you. You'll feel like the distance between the two of you has shrunk down, and so um, I want to talk with you about a couple important things. Today. Let me read you a couple of verses that highlight them. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Later in that same chapter in verse 145, the psalmist writes, I pray with all my heart, answer me, Lord, I will obey your decrees. And then in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, Solomon writes, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend, okay? And those verses just kind of like rang over my heart this week as I was studying today, and it led me to this title, and what we're going to talk about is communication and teamwork. Now that sounds like... It could be the slogan for almost any company in the world, right? Hey, we're all about communication and teamwork. Or maybe that would be the, the heading on top of a marriage counseling brochure, right? We're going to talk about communication and teamwork because communication is the key to a happy marriage. Which I'm not saying I agree with that. I actually disagree with that. 
but you might hear that. A lot of people would say that. Have you ever heard that before? Communication is the key to healthy marriage. But I, at, at worst, I might say like uh, uh, healthy, honest, correct communication might be the key to it. But I could talk all day if I'm saying the wrong thing. It's not going to help my marriage. If I'm calling her names and bashing her over the head, we can communicate all we want. It's not going to help my marriage. And if I'm lying about it all the time when I talk to somebody, it doesn't matter how much I communicate. So I need more than just communication. But you might see that, right? And so... Uh, what we're going to talk about today is how communication and teamwork play a huge part in your connection with Jesus. If you really want to get closer with him, these are two words that you have to understand and you have to put in practice in your life. So help me out today. Look at somebody sitting close to you and just say to the person you're talking to, uh, what we have here is a failure to communicate. Right, look, so you got to look at me now. Don't sit there like mannequins, right? Look at somebody sitting close to you and say to them, what we have here is a failure to communicate. Go ahead. I'm going to call you out if you don't do it. What we have here is a failure to communicate. Donovan, what we have here is a failure to communicate. Right? You can even get one of these if you want. All right. What, what we have here. All right. So that's really what's going on with our relationship with Jesus. A lot of times what we have with Jesus is a failure to communicate. So what I want to do is I want to dig into those two topics today the best we can and help you walk out of here with a better idea. How do I communicate with Jesus? And how does teamwork play a part in it? So first I want to take you to a story in Luke chapter 18. If you want to follow along in your Bible, you can flip there or click there. The words will be on the screen if you want to just follow along that way. But in Luke chapter 18, Jesus is sitting around with his closest followers. He's going to tell them a story. I'm going to tell you the same story. And then I'll read it to you so you can verify that I'm telling you the truth, all right? Because you should never just take the preacher's word for it. You know that, right? Because sometimes the preacher's a jerk. Sometimes, I got an amen on that one, all right? Sometimes the preacher's a con artist. All right, no amens on that. I like that, all right? And sometimes the preacher just makes mistakes. So whatever the case may be, whether he's a good guy or a bad guy, he could still make a mistake, and so no matter what is said from the front in this church or any church, you should always double-check it with what God says in his word. Don't just take it for granted, right? So I want to do that with you today, give you a chance to double-check what I say. But here's the story. Let me just kind of break it down for you. Jesus is sitting around with his closest followers, and he says to them, I'm going to tell you a story. And he tells them up front what the purpose in telling them the story is. I'll read it to you in a second, but he says, the purpose in telling you this story is so that you'll always pray and that you'll never give up, all right? So you'll always pray and never give up. So Jesus is going to tell him this story. Here's, the story has two characters in it. There's a judge and a widow. And he describes both the characters in the story. The judge is evil, wicked. He calls him an unjust judge. He doesn't care about God, and he doesn't care about people. He doesn't love God, and he definitely doesn't love people. And the widow in the story, it's important that he doesn't just say a woman, but he says a widow, because you have to understand the setting and the culture in New Testament Israel was that women had very little value. Now, there's a lot of women in America that walk around talking like they have very little value, but they don't really understand what New Testament Israel womanhood would be like. They were considered by most people to just be property. They had very little, if any, rights. They didn't vote. They didn't have a say in politics. They didn't have any authority in their home. They couldn't own land. They had very little defense. So to be a widow 
meant that not only were you a woman who had very little rights and very little privileges in Israel during that time, but you didn't even have a husband who could go to bat for you. You were on your own, basically defenseless. So here's this widow in the story and this evil judge. And Jesus says the widow keeps coming to the judge day after day, asking him for help because she has an enemy who has wronged her. And she keeps asking the judge to make it right, to to give her justice, to set right what has been done wrong to her. And the judge ignores her over and over again. But she keeps coming and bothering him. He doesn't love God. He doesn't care about this woman. But eventually in the story, the judge speaks. And he says to himself, all right, I'm going to give this woman some justice. And the reason he gives is because she's bothering me. And I want to get her off my back. She's driving me crazy. And I just want her to go away. All right, that's the story. Now let me read it to you, and you see if that kind of sounds like what the story is. It's in Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 1. You ready? One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Is that what he's telling? That's the purpose, right? To always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. I never heard anybody say wearing me out till I moved to the South, but people say that here all the time. Right? They're wearing me out. I never even heard that before, right? But here it's in the Bible, too. So whoever uh, translated into the NLT, they're obviously from the South, because I never heard that in the North. But they were wearing me out, right? Heather says that all the time. Where These kids are wearing me out. Rebellious teenagers in her house. Yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, so is that the story I told her? Well, that's the story, right? Basically the same story I just told you. And remember, back in verse 1, Jesus gives us the reason he's telling this story, right? So that you'll always pray and that you'll never give up. Can you remember those two things this week? That Jesus wants you to always pray and to never give up, and somehow this story is supposed to prove to us or show us that we should always pray and never give up. All right, so let's go through it together real quick. We got the purpose down. We got the characters down. And I want to show you something about the judge. This is important to see too. Look back at verse 4 where the judge starts talking to himself. It's not always a good thing to talk to yourself, but in this case it's good because we get to hear what he said then. So the judge starts talking to himself, and the judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, Self? I don't love God. I don't fear him. I don't care about people. Here's why that's important, all right? I need you to understand who this judge is. He's not just a bad guy. He's the worst of bad guys. He's not just evil. He's like the evilest of the evil. Here's what, I'm, here's what I'm talking about. There are lots of bad judges out there in the world, right? Maybe you've encountered some of them in your time. Hopefully not, but maybe you've stood in front of some judges, right? And there are some bad judges in this world. Judges who don't fear God and judges who don't care about people. 
But this guy is worse than that. Because while you can find a lot of bad judges in this world, and they could definitely find a lot of bad judges during that time, guys who would just take bribes and give whatever verdict you wanted. But, but more than just being a bad judge, this guy admits he's a bad judge. Now, you won't find a lot of those in our world today. You find a lot of people who don't fear God, but not a lot of people who would admit they don't fear God. You'll find a lot of people that don't care about anybody but themselves, but not a lot of people who would admit they don't care about anybody but themselves. This guy says it about himself. He thinks to himself, hey, I don't fear God, and I definitely don't care about anybody but myself, but I'm going to give this woman justice. So you need to understand this judge Jesus is using as an illustration, this judge, this character in the story, he's not just a bad guy. He's as bad as you can get because not only does he hate God, not only does he hate everybody else in the world, but he readily admits it. He likes it about himself. I don't care about God. I don't care about people. I don't fear God, and I definitely am not going to help anybody but myself. This is the guy we're talking about. The worst of the worst being petitioned by the utterly defenseless who is desperate for help. You see the characters, right? And you need to understand because it's easy to just read through this and be like, okay, we got a bad judge and a woman. No, 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 that's not what's going on here. We got the worst possible judge you could possibly be ever. And the most helpless, defense, defenseless, weak woman coming to him for help. The two extremes are meeting. And so she comes to him, but she doesn't just come to him, right? She comes to him repeatedly, over and over, day after day, night after night, begging for justice. And what does he do? He ignores her. It's easy to feel like that. I keep begging for help. I keep asking the Lord to intervene. I keep asking him to heal me or to do something great in my life. And it feels like I'm getting ignored over and over again. Okay, but then the story goes on and she keeps pestering him. She keeps annoying him. And finally, not because he loves God, not because he wants to help her out, but simply because she's bothering him so bad, she's driving him so crazy, he decides to give her what she's asking for. And then Jesus, in the next paragraph, explains the lesson we should get from this story. He gives us the takeaway. What we should take home from this story. Can I read it to you? It's from in verses 6 to 8. Here's what he says. Ready? Then the Lord said, now he's talking to all his followers again, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Here's the lesson. You ready? Verse 7. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think, don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. Remember the purpose in telling the story. That you would always pray and that you would never give up. And now Jesus says, take this lesson away from the story with you. If this guy, who was so wicked and so selfish and so uncaring about the rest of the world, and so in it only for what bribes and selfish things he could accumulate, and he doesn't care at all about God, if this guy can be pestered enough to give a just, righteous ruling, don't you think God, who is perfectly just and perfectly loving 
and cares about you more than anything else in the whole world, cares about you more than the birds of the air, cares about you more than the flowers in the fields, cares about you more than anything else he's created, don't you think if this wicked judge can be pestered enough to give a just, righteous ruling, don't you think that kind of God will give you a good outcome if you keep asking him over and over again? Don't stop praying. Don't give up. Don't stop praying. Don't give up. Why? Because don't you think if the worst of the worst can be pestered to do the right thing, that the purest of the pure God would easily want to give you good things. Don't stop praying. Don't give up. Wow. And he'll grant you. And then he says, not only will he grant you justice, but he'll do it quick quick. That's the kind of God we get to pray to. But don't miss this detail in case you glossed over it in verses 6 to 8. Don't miss this detail. This kind of swift justice, this this, uh, quick help that comes from the Lord, this rapid assistance from God, it's only available if two conditions are met. Did you see them in the passage? Let's read back through it again. Can you go back to verse 6? Let's read back through it again. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. What were the two conditions? Well, you got to be God's people. And you got to ask him for it day after day after day. Day and night crying out to him for help. Desperate. Don't stop praying. Don't give up. If you're God's people, don't stop praying and don't give up because he will give you justice quickly if you don't stop praying and you don't give up because he will intervene and deliver and rescue if you don't stop praying and you don't give up. You've got to come to him day after day, night after night, making your requests known. Do you see the connection in this story between praying and quitting. When you stop praying, what it says to God is, I quit. And I know lots of people that ask God for lots of things. But do you ask him day after day? Don't tell God it's important to you if you can't even remember about it by the second day. Don't tell God you really need it or want it if you've asked for it once and then two years later he hasn't given it to you yet and you can't even remember the last time you asked for it. Are you praying like this? Don't stop praying and don't give up because God will give you what you need. He wants to give. What is it that you need? What is it that you want? You have not because you ask not. How many times have you asked for it? made me think this week of my kids who both really enjoy coloring. Is that true? Logan really enjoys coloring, huh? Sydney kind of enjoys coloring. But I don't know if you know this or not, if you've not been exposed to the internet, this new thing that came out. There are millions of coloring pages out there. That's not even an exaggeration. There's literally millions of coloring pages in this world. And I have access to all of them, which is a couple clicks now on my phone. And it wasn't like that back in the day. You had to like draw your own coloring pages, then color them in. Or buy a book, you know. <laughs> so, but there's coloring pages everywhere. 
And so a lot of days, my kids will come to me and they'll say, Daddy, will you print us out some coloring pages? And I'll say yes. Sometimes I'll say no, but usually I'll say yes. But I don't just get on my computer or on my phone and print out any old coloring page, do I? What's the next thing I say to my kids? What do you want? What do you want to color? What do you want a picture of, right? And they tell me. Now, if they say, I want a picture of Beauty and the Beast, what do you think I print them out? Right. I'm, it's like I'm waiting for them to tell me what it is they want. And when they tell me, it's all I can do to get to my computer or get to my phone and print it out. Why? Because I know it's going to make their little heart happy because I want them to have justice quickly. I want them to have happiness as soon as I could give it to them. I want them to enjoy coloring. I print them out exactly what they ask for. When they communicate it to me, I give it to them quickly. I also thought of my kids this week, and I tell them every day, I'm like, man, you guys, I love you. I love you. I don't want there to ever be a day that goes by that I don't tell them I love them. And a lot of times I'll say to them, like, you guys know I love you? And they almost always say, yes, daddy. That's what I, yes. <laughs> like, can't you be a little bit more excited about it? <laughs> I don't know. We've heard it. I say, how do you know I love you? How do you know I love you? And this is the answer I usually get from both of them. You ready? It's the answer I get. Because you always tell us. Because you always tell us. See, what we have here is a failure to communicate. And God is just desperately waiting each day to say to you, I love you. What do you want me to print for you? I love you. What do you want me to take away? I love you. Where do you need justice? I love you. In what area of your life do you need help? I love you. Let's talk about it. Don't stop praying. Don't give up. Communication. Now here's the other side of it. Teamwork. Because the truth is you can't do this on your own. Now you might think you can do this on your own. Oh, I can pray anytime I want. I'm all by myself. It's good to go. Me and Jesus, we're a majority. But you can't do it on your own. It's impossible. Now you might think you're an island, but you're not. The New Testament records the Greek word for one another a hundred times. And in 47 of those passages, the word one another is used in the context of telling disciples of Jesus or Christians how they should live their life. 47 of them. I want to read you, I don't know, seven or eight verses that have about 10 of them in. I won't read all 47 of them. Let me just roll down through these real quick. You ready? First two I'm going to give you are in James 5.16. James 5.16 says this, confess your sins to one another. Now, how are you going to do that by yourself? Oh, I'm good by myself. I can do all this Christian stuff by myself. I'm going to be off by myself somewhere in the corner listening to gospel messages on TV or online. I'm good by myself. How are you going to confess your sins to one another alone? Here's, a, here's the second one. And pray for one another. Oh, I could pray all by myself. I don't need anybody else to pray for me or pray with me. Really? Really? Pray for one another so that you might be healed. Man, I'd love to be forgiven of my sins. Excellent. All you got to do to be forgiven of your sins is confess them to God. But if you want to be healed, you got to confess to one another. The sincere or effectual or fervent prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. There's two of them for you. Ready? Here's the next one. It's in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. It says this. Use your freedom... To serve one another in love. How are you going to serve somebody by yourself? 
Come on now, can you do this thing alone? How are you going to serve one another alone? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says, be kind to one another. How are you going to be kind to one another by yourself at your house? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another. Motivate us to do what? To do acts of love and good works. How are you going to motivate somebody to do good works if you're never around them? Motivate one another. Here's the very next verse, verse 25. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. How are you going to follow that verse if you're not getting together with anybody? You can't do, how are you going to meet together alone? It doesn't even make sense. But encourage one another. There's people in this room that need your encouragement. But you keep hibernating by yourself thinking, well, as long as I read my Bible and pray, I'm good to go. Really? And people keep getting picked off. What do I mean they keep getting picked off? They keep giving up. Especially now that the day of Jesus' return is drawing near. Look at Galatians 6.2. It says, share one another's burdens. Share the burdens of other people. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. Hey, I'm sorry to hear about that. Click. Good luck. Click. <laughs> How are you going to share somebody else's burden if you don't get into their life? 1 Peter 4, verse 9 says, Be hospitable to one another without complaint. One translation I read said it this way. Invite people into your home to share a meal or to stay for the night without complaining about it. When was the last time you invited somebody into your house for a meal or to spend the night? Be hospitable to one another. How are you going to do that alone? And then in John chapter 13, verse 34, the one another passage that's repeated the most in the New Testament about seven or eight times, Jesus said, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. The very next verse sums all these one another passages up. In verse 35, he says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Man, I want to be close to Jesus. I want to follow Jesus with all I got. I want to be right up next to him. Have there be no disconnect, no distance between us. I want to know what it feels like to be intimately connected with him. Oh, to be his disciples? Prove it. Prove it by loving one another. By being right up next to each other. What's the most important commandment in the whole Bible, Jesus? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. But hey, the second commandment is equally important. You've got to love one another. Don't tell me you love Jesus if you don't love one another. Is that enough? I mean, how many proof texts do you need? You cannot live a successful life alone. It's impossible. And every week that goes by that you choose to stay away from all the other one another's, every week that goes by that you say, I don't feel like going to church. I can't make life group fit into my schedule. I don't got time to get together with anybody for dinner. I can't invite somebody into my home. Do you know what they're like? I can't, 
I don't need to encourage somebody. I need to be encouraged. Every week that goes by that you resist all of the one another's, and you can't make time for them, and they won't fit your agenda, and you don't like those people, forgive them. I don't, you don't even know what they did to me. Every time you push all the one another passages out of your life, and you don't make space for them, every week that you do that is another week that you say to the Lord, I quit. I quit. And Jesus is telling us this story saying, don't stop praying, don't give up. Don't stop praying. Don't give up. Every week that goes by and I refuse to ask Jesus for the things I need and I stop repeating my request to him, I'm saying I quit. Every week that goes by and I resist his plan for my life and I run away from it and I isolate, I quit. And the devil keeps picking people off one at a time. And you can almost always trace it back to they stop begging God for help. They stop pressing into God's plan for their life. Almost always. You're not the devil if you stay home from church one Sunday. You're not the devil if you go on family vacation or if you just stay home because you're tired. All I'm telling you is every week that you stop begging God for help, you're saying to him, I give up. And every week you avoid one another's. You're saying to God, and this week, I give up. And you're setting yourself up for disaster. And you have to fight for community. You have to fight to keep praying each day. Do you understand it yet? See, your natural self will always default back to trying to manage your problems on your own without begging God for help. And your natural self will always default back to isolating and being alone instead of pressing into togetherness and community. Always. That's what our natural selves do. And every time I do those things, I'm giving up. Every time I withdraw and isolate, instead of pushing into real community, every time I stay silent, manage my own problems, instead of begging God for help, I'm giving up. Now the story Jesus told in Luke 18, if you look back at that story, I left one half of the last verse out. The second half of verse 8 in Luke chapter 18, Jesus ends this discussion with his followers with a question. I'm going to read you the same question. It's real revealing if you take the whole story in context. But the second half of verse 8 in Luke 18, this is what Jesus asks them. He says this, But when Jesus, when I return, how many will I find on the earth who have faith? Now take that in context of the whole story. I'm going to tell you guys a story so that you'll always pray and you'll never give up. So that you'll always pray and you'll never give up. And he tells them the story about this unjust judge and this widow who desperately needs help. And then he says, don't you think God is desperately wanting to give, your, give you help even more so? So don't stop praying and don't give up. But I wonder, when I finally come back, how many people will I find that haven't given up? How many people will I find that have this kind of faith? When you say, yeah, I'm a person of faith, what do you mean by that? Because what Jesus seems to mean in this story is, I always keep praying. I never up. keep pressing into his plan for my life. How many days can you take off from being a Christian? Zero if you want to succeed. How many days can I isolate and hide? How many days can I trust myself instead of begging God for help? 
Zero if you want to make it. So if you look at your life, do you pray like this widow went to the judge? Repeatedly over and over. Can you think of anything in your life right now that you've asked God for more than twice? Are you desperate on your knees at home, begging God to help your kids get through another day? Are you desperate on your knees, begging God to heal you physically? Are you desperate on your knees, begging God to take care of this financial burden that's got you weighed down? Are you desperate on your knees, begging God for the wisdom to know what college to go to? Are you desperate, flat on your face, begging God day after day, not one time, repeatedly, night and day, to the point of annoyance almost? Are you begging him over and over again, bring me to the right person to marry? Make me a better husband? Help me love my wife more? God, keep me from sin today. Don't deliver me into evil, but deliver me. Don't deliver me out of temptation. Are you desperate? Don't tell me you're desperate if you don't pray like this widow went to the judge. Don't tell me you're desperate if you push all the one another's away. Are you desperate like that? This is what real faith looks like. You always pray and you never give up. He wants to know how many people who will even find like that when he returns. When I return, how many people will I even find who are still praying, still begging me to grow this church, still begging me to rescue my neighbors, still begging me to save my family, still begging me to make a way where there seems to be no way? Are you pressing into his plan? Is that you? Is that how you describe your faith with that kind of desperation? If it's not, I'd like to challenge you today to just maybe make the first prayer, a prayer of desperation. God, I need help. Name whatever it is you need, whatever it is you want. Don't stop naming it until he gives it to you. He loves you. He wants to communicate it to you back and forth each day. He doesn't want you to try and go it alone. He wants you to do it together as a team. He loves you. He wants to communicate with you. And he wants you to live out a life full of teamwork with other, one another's. That's what he wants for you. All weekend, this song's been blasting through my head. Kenny's going to give me grief over it because it's pretty old. I always give him grief about how old his musical taste is. But this song was written about 25 years ago, 1996. My favorite band, or one of my three favorite bands growing up. The song's called Take My Life. And it's been blasting through my head all weekend. As I was studying this passage and I was thinking about these ideas of how desperate I need to be to communicate with Jesus each day and how desperate I need to be to have teamwork and how desperate I need to be for him to help me, but how often I mess up and how many times I fail and how ashamed I feel of that failure a lot. And maybe you feel like that, but I'm just going to give you the lyrics to this song. It's called Take My Life. And here's what the song says. It says, how many times have I turned away? The number is the same as the sand on the shores. But every time, every time, you take me back. And now I pray you'll do it once more. Please take from me my life when I don't have the strength to give it away to you. Please take from me my life when I don't have the strength to give it away to you, Jesus. The second verse says, how many times have I turned away? The number is the same as the stars in the sky. But every time, You've taken me back, and now I pray you'll do it tonight. Please take from me my life 
when I don't have the strength to give it away to you. Please take from me my life when I don't have the strength to give it away to you, Jesus. So maybe that's how you feel today. I don't know, maybe this all went over your head, maybe this bounced off your heart, I don't know. But if you had ears to hear and it sunk down deep, maybe you realize, you know what? I'm not praying like I should be. I'm not pressing into one another's like I should be. I'm really communicating to God that I give up, that I'm not interested in his way. Maybe that's you today. If it is, I'm gonna challenge you. We're gonna do something different. We don't usually do this. about as close to an altar call as we get for all the old schoolers who love altar calls, right? But, but I wanna challenge you during the next three minutes. I'm gonna play you that song from 25 years ago in my childhood. I'm gonna play you that song. And while it's playing, I wanna challenge you to get on your knees. Turn around, face your chair, get on your knees if you're able. If you're like, I don't believe in any of this, just do it so everybody else feels comfortable, I don't know. But just pray for two minutes. Pray a prayer of desperation. God, this is what I need. This is what I want. And I'm not gonna stop asking for it till you give it to me. God, I wanna press into community like you want me to. Help me to have the courage to go out of here this week and press into all the one another's. To get together with people, to not hide. To be honest and forgiving and kind and serving and loving, hospitable. Help me, God, this week. Help me in what I need and help me do what you want me to do. Will you do that with me? Just two minutes of desperate prayer from all of us to a God who loves you so much, he's waiting to give you justice quickly.